Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. 
Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs Podcast with me, Giles Bidder, where I speak to bands and artists about the other jobs they've had. And this week I speak to Brian Devendorf, drummer of The National, and he's just released a record under the name Royal Green, along with Nate Martinez and also featuring Josh Kaufman from Bonnie Light Horseman and fellow National member Aaron Dessner. Brian tells me about working for a small book publisher in his 20s in New York, around the time that The National felt like a bit of a pipe dream to him and they were rehearsing in apartments, before touring really took over, when Alligator was released in 2005 and how that was such a turning point in his life. I'm sure I'm not alone in thinking it's fucking awesome hearing about the kind of reality that they were going through around that time. So thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you subscribe and maybe leave behind some kind of compassionate warming review. East London Signature Brew have been brewing music-inspired beers since 2011 and have released beers with Mastodon, with Idols, with Slaves, with a bunch of other awesome bands. And if you go onto their website, well, if you live in the UK, signaturebrew.co.uk, you can order beers and get 10% off everything with the voucher code 101podcast. That's all capital letters. You're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs, and here's Brian Devendorf from Royal Green and The National. I've been really enjoying the Royal Green record, Brian. And it makes me think, you know, looking at your discogs, looking at how much, how prolific you've been as a songwriter and a collaborator, how has that changed over the last decade plus? Oh, well, (laughs) where to begin? First of all, thanks for the kind words. Um, I, well, first of all, I should qualify this. I, I didn't really write I wrote one of the lyric sets on the Royal Green recording. It's all covers of, you know, established classic rock songs and also lyric sets by Matt Berninger. (laughs) Wow. I didn't, I knew the lyrics Um, were written by someone else, but not Matt. Yeah. They were actually kind of like the early batch of national material that did not make the first record was just kind of lying fallow. So I just kind of, used it (laughs) in this little this bedroom recording i mean the recording of royal green it was my vocals were recorded 20 years ago um the the vocals that we're here on that we hear on the record yeah 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 it's like a time capsule from the early days of the band of the national you know um wow that's insane yeah it was just like a just like a it was just a just like a it was a project just based on just learning how to use pro tools you know right (laughs) Right. Um, and did you feel much... And then I dug it up. Sorry, go ahead. Did you feel much pressure? Was there any kind of... A- anything like that around making this, putting it together, learning Pro, t- pro Tools? Uh, that's the thing. There was no pressure other than that I put on myself. You know, just... I was, you know, 25 years old, kind of living hand to mouth <laughs> and uh, just trying to figure out technology and drum machines. And there were these since like I'll, I'll, i'm i'm not a trained musician i dabbled in violin for about 10 or 10 years as a child <laughs> and then you know studied drums like kind of with teachers and stuff but i i, I don't 
have any grasp of musical theory other than the most basic <laughs> understanding, you know. So has uh, been arranging this, did that sort of give you a lot of, put a lot of memories in your head from that time? Oh, certainly, yeah. Yeah, because something about that era when, you know, the National was just a pipe dream and, you know, New York is such a daunting, difficult place to, you know, break into whatever you know, field you want to get into. At the time, I was actually working in book publishing uh, on a career path, trying to become a full editor. <laughs> wow. Um, so music was just kind of like, you know, fun. Something, something fun to do at night. Um, and working in publishing, that's quite an intense career, isn't it? It can be. Luckily, I was at a very small press that had four people, including myself. So it was just very quiet lots of again it was, it was like old school just reading manuscripts we were one of the few presses that actually considered the slush pile you know the unsolicited <laughs> manuscripts that come in yeah so that was my job just reading all the slush you know <laughs> and you're and you're practicing weekend nights or, or weekday nights and, and playing weekend nights yeah basically the um matt had a large apartment that doubled as the band's rehearsal space great um, in the beginning, eventually we got, a, you know, we started renting spaces and various warehouses. But, but yeah, I was just kind of juggling both, you know, the literary career and the musical career and just trying to make ends meet to, you know, <laughs> pay the rent. Of of course, you know, every every person has this kind of maybe, you know, like they look back on their life and think, wow, how you know, from there to there to there, you know, from points A to F or whatever, you know, the, the current day. Oh, yeah what kind of stories have kind of been re-emulated now from that time? Um, well, strangely, my life is full of coincidences. Like every, everyone's, I guess, like I, I got the job at the publishing company through Aaron's college roommate, um, who now lives in Cincinnati, two blocks from me wow. <laughs> working as a, professor of philosophy at the local university. Um, and uh, I guess where am I going with this? Um, and it's it just like, I guess just the, just the random nature of all these incidents that have led up to like the fabric of my life. You know, the, the twins I met, my, my mom decided me to send me to like, you know, private school in the late eighties. And had she not done that, there would be no national, you know? <laughs> right. Um, because that's where I met the twins and eventually formed a band, you know, probably around 1990 with them. Um, yeah, it's just, I, I think coming from Ohio as well, there's like a, just like a certain glue where you're like, you're stuck with your family and, you know, your whole life. And then moving to New York, did you, did you all move to New York around the same time? Essentially, yeah. I think Scott and Matt went there first. I I lived with Scott and his future spouse when I first got there, and then Aaron was attending school there. This is all about you know ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven. You know, and and you talk about sort of living, living hand to mouth in in that period of time. Were you kind of expected? Was there this expectation at you know the ripe age of twenty five? unlike now perhaps to have a full-time gig to be looking to buying a place oh no there was no expectation you know it was just 
I don't I don't even know what the what the, what the there were no long term plans other than like pay, paying the rent and hopefully getting like maybe landing a re, you know a higher paying job in publishing one day and then you know there were always hopes surrounding the band but it was just it seemed impossible at the time you know some of the lyrics that are on the royal green record are there any uh-huh. particular ones that stand out that that Matt's written or that Matt wrote back then and and you... wow i mean they all really feel strong to me but i would say I don't know that this really pertains to, you know, becoming an adult or anything, but there's this, there's a song called breaking the river. Um, and basically all of it. I like, like, you know, um, I want to be wanted. I want to be blamed, blah, blah, blah. But the one I like the most is the, um, I want to fish where you go swimming, you know? Yeah. It it just kind of like brings up, evokes you know all the sort of childhood memories and and kind of encapsulates the entire the entirety of like human lust and wanting things into like a sentence you know totally and I'm, i'm glad you brought up breaking the river because i wanted to ask where that i've been racking my brains and trying to google the lines about um the the quote the the quote that you've got it sounds like it's from a movie uh uh-huh what what's that from about being in Europe and then it wouldn't be like this in America, <laughs> kind of. Right. <laughs> oh, you never you would never do this sort of thing in America. Yeah, the speaker he's talking about um, going on a train and it's a very posh gentleman, you know, who has a taxi man who takes him to the station and all that. Yeah. And all that. Hugh Grant. Uh, it was just a, a piece of found audio I found. I was archiving audio for a project. And I just kind of recycled it. <laughs> um. It, it just sounded so cool. Well. It, yeah, it just sounded cool. And it like kind of fit, you know, chronological or it fit the timestamp was just right, you know, <laughs> or the yeah. duration, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. And when, when did you start making this record? Not, probably like early, like late, probably early, sometime in the, probably the summer of 2000. Wow. wow. And then the set, I kind of just kind of, when Bryce wasn't around, I went to his apartment. He had roommates. I think there was like a three-bedroom apartment, and his bedroom was also a studio. So I just kind of—it was before phones. I don't know how we arranged anything, but somehow I knew when he wouldn't be there, and he allowed me just let me in, and you know, I just worked there on random days. Uh, well, I mean, what a funny then, concept in itself—you know, not having a WhatsApp group, right? <laughs> Were there any kind of mistimed judgments, like missed gigs, missed rehearsals? I'm sure there were. Well, as far as gigs go, I don't think we ever missed a gig. We we were very punctual and eager and all that. Um, you know, we weren't that cool. And did you come to England quite early on in your career then to tour? I feel France was our first overseas sort of small small success, um, and then I think shortly thereafter it would have been London. Um, we were, I believe, yeah, that was it. That was the year. Yeah, we rented like a. Of, you know, a British vehicle, you know, with the steering wheel on the right side, because the tour started in England, they had to drive all over Europe in this cut in this British car. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, it was bonkers. But yeah, yeah, I think England was early on. Uh, you know, must have been oh three or oh four, probably. So at that point, you'd be in a band a few years enough to sort of have, a, a, you know, a, a pretty good organizational quality of the band. Uh, I mean. We had no concept of, you know, tour managers and anything. We, we just kind of brought our 
whatever professional <laughs> expertise we had, you know, doing math and reading maps and, you know, scheduling things. Um, but yeah, it was very much amateur hour, but we had some help luckily from a nice gentleman named Howard Monk <laughs> from, uh, originally from Rochdale that lives in, lived in London at the time. He's the one who booked the Buffalo Bar gig for us. I think he had a night there. Yeah, yeah. We had lot, lots of like hosts really helped us, like our French label guy, this guy named Sean Bouchard, kind of got the ball rolling for us, you know. And when, when you signed to that French label, did you have expectations of yourself? Did they have expectations for the national? What was that kind of feeling at the time? I think it, it gave us quite a boost of confidence. Maybe I had, you know, I had, I had traveled once to Europe, like in the eight, or I went to England in the 80s, you know. Hadn't traveled abroad since then. Um, I, I think I had like big expectations of, you know, being massive, you know, um, but that didn't happen, of course. Um, but it, it, was, it was just more fun just to like, you know, you know, see things outside the, you know, to see the world, I guess. Yeah. You know, via, via the motorway and, you know, rest stops, but it was still cool, you know. <laughs> and you talk about the Buffalo Bar, which I mentioned before we press record on this, because when you played at the O2, Matt gave a big shout out to the Buffalo Bar. And that made me That's so right. excited because, you know, <laughs> some of my favorite gigs have been at those. I mean, it's cliche to say, isn't it? But, you know, those small pub gigs. As, oh, yeah. You know, you get some real special moments from those nights. I mean, yeah. may, maybe it's looking back with rosy eyes as well. Yeah, but, well, it's a little bit of both. We, there's a similar venue, there's the Mercury Lounge in, in New York, where we did a lot of our early shows, as that. But yeah, it speaks, I, mean, I don't need to say it, but you know, just the intimacy, just how the music sounds is different in a small venue. And it's just, you know, I saw like bands like the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and the Strokes in these smaller venues and also in larger venues and there's just no comparison you know right and were you going to go um, were you seeing the i mean you said you did but were you a big fan of that kind of meet me in the bathroom scene um not i was no part of it you know i was just this like bookish nerdy guy but i definitely liked the, the music and they thought it was super cool you know <laughs> yeah yeah for was, real yeah it was really cool and did that did seeing that scene sort of like so come alive because obviously i just i just got the i mean i was pretty young at the time but you know the nme was you know thriving writing about that kind of stuff and this that idea of it seemed so magical you know it was something that you could kind of do yourself you know it was punk rock enough for that but it was also this kind of very liberating grandiose thing all at the same time did that inspire the way that you wanted to play music and the way that you wanted to be in a band uh for sure 100 percent. i mean if you include do you know the walkman yeah oh yeah okay if you include if you include the walkman which i would in that i mean i guess the initial band jonathan fire eater is sort of seen as the sort of you know patient zero or i haven't heard that of um it's it's this awesome band it's the guys i think three members of the walkman were in that band um seminal i guess it'd be called seminal late 90s early 2000s new york city band but i would include the walkman in that group with the strokes the yeah yeah yeahs interpol you know and on and on um and definitely like that was seeing them play was like oh you know you need to play with energy and conviction and be awesome otherwise what's the point you know um so i very very much kind of copied their drummers kind of like where he's you know he's on the shorter side and I'm gigantic, but he has this unique style of play. And I thought, oh, he just hits things really 
straightforwardly and but it sounds great you know I, I thought that when i first saw the national i just didn't think it, it would be so so energetic so is that something that you 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 thought about from from very early on then uh yeah i would say about probably was 2004 was when things shifted we had you know a couple of records we self-released and we were like we had this ep and then we realized like oh like we just need to like hit things hard and like you know go for it there was like that was that was like the the thing back then i mean i don't know if it was, if it was related to like the post 9-11 debauchery that was going on or just oh, the right. you know the general zeitgeist i guess yeah yeah but uh but yeah like i say in the small rooms like there's something very like effective about just like a, a clear identifiable articulated uh like drumbeat you know I, I find it's fascinating. Someone, uh, so a, a friend said years ago, an older friend said, you know, all his life he's he's loved the way that you can stand at the back of a gig or a small gig with maybe 40, 50 people, see five people get into it and then watch that spread across the room. Totally. And I always think that's a kind of really like magical, a magical thing that you see a band react to as well. You know, the dynamic when you, when, you know, when you're studying someone who's playing and you see them. Oh, kind for of sure. That. For sure. I mean, the guys up front, on the stage definitely have more of a perspective on like you know the faces in the crowd as it were right yeah for sure so 2004 2005 i wanted to ask about alligator because i you know from a fan's point of view from the beggars banquet thing was it initially released on beggars it was so that that must have felt like a, a pretty sweet jump oh yeah it was the greatest thing that ever happened to us it changed the entire trajectory of the band's career it was specifically an individual named roger trust who was uh i guess a and r i don't know <laughs> some sort of he'd been there forever you know and he's the one who signed us to the label and with that you know imprimatur and tour support that was what launched the band it enabled us to actually go into the wider world with some you know degree of of you know notoriety you know it's like oh they're on beggars you know they must be legit or something you know totally i but, mean it's interesting but, uh, how how we all kind of you know internally legitimize new records that we hear about uh-huh. if, if we read that it's on beggars banquet you know especially yeah or 4ad or matador or on and right, on you know exactly um, and do you feel like yeah. you were prepared for all that at the time do you feel like you had it in you to kind of navigate everything that was going on then uh no <laughs> it was you know it was daunting um, i still struggle with you know just the anxiety of performing and showing up but i think that's we really just showed up and we were able to kind of power through um that just kind of got us it just it, just, it was just through like sheer force of will and and i think that we'd already kind of been doing it kind of like for a few years and just getting a small taste of how like oh but being in a real band you know what i mean like we were always on the outside looking in on, you know, we saw the Strokes, the yeah, 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 it's Interpol, the Walkman, on and on. Go like do put these awesome records out. And we're just kind of like, oh, what are we doing, <laughs> you know? But so yeah, Alligator was definitely our sort of our our what would you call it? Our uh, you know our addition or attempt to add to that you know 2000 to 2005 New York City music thing. And was there was there a conflict with the sort of quote-unquote real life jobs that were happening around that time happily there there hadn't been my my employers at the press the soho press it's called still active company they um 
enabled me to take time off unpaid of course to tour you know like for weeks at a time <laughs> which was great but then yeah when alligator came out there was the tours got longer and my boss well the publisher sat me down and she said um you know it's just it's you, you should do this she encouraged me you know she, that that's what she she you know she herself was an art was an artist and writer and said do this you know but if you know <laughs> if if it doesn't work out you, you got to get back into publishing. You can, you can only stay out of the business for like a year or two. Otherwise things have moved on, you know, cause there's always, you know, new things happening. So I love hearing about those conversations that you'd have with, you think it might be the manager or the label who've given you these inspiring talks or, but having someone like uh, a PR, for example, because it's not strictly their job, right? Right. It comes from a nice place that comes from your heart, you know, what, from what she was saying, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, she was very much a maternal kind of figure um how she ran the business and how she treated people and you know it's great have you kind of emulated the people that you've met that you like the most i suppose oh certainly i'm a mimic i like the two people at the at the soho press uh uh who unfortunately are now passed away laura ruska and yuri yurevitz um are their names they um i, I definitely use phrases like turns of phrase and I, I, you know, it's, it, they left, they left a deep and lasting impression on me. I just kind of copy things they say. And, you know, Yuri, you know, and he's like in business, you know, antagonism gets you nowhere. You know, he was like a nice guy, you know, I mean, he drove a hard bargain, but you know, he never really like, it was just really funny. You know, he showed up, I think I was still an intern at this point. I, it was like a Friday and like, he came in, threw a pair of pajamas at me with a toothbrush. He's like, we're going to DC on the train. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> To, to meet this author, this guy who worked in the State Department. Uh, and I was like, you know, at this point, I was probably 22 or 23. And I had to tell this grown man who'd served in like foreign wars and stuff, like, like which short stories weren't going to make the, the collection. <laughs> That's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of cool. Just like, here you go, kid. So he was with me the whole time. Was like, you know, we went together. You know? <laughs> so, That's but, still uh, so exciting. I think a lot of yeah. early 20s, people you know kind of expect a job where they're just kind of told what to do and it's probably going to be somewhat boring right at least i thought that at that age right well, go, go go work for uh small independent literary presses <laughs> well similarly to to well, right. to records i mean the economics yeah. of those two businesses is is somewhat kind of fucked up right now isn't it yeah <laughs> Um, and yeah, I, I, yeah, in, in different ways for sure. I mean, publishing—you know—the publisher assumes all the risk, and often, as you know, was it fifty percent return rates that they used to be? Maybe it's higher now. But I mean, eBooks have changed the game, obviously. You know. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, like print on demand, well. and yeah, yeah, audiobooks, and yeah, for podcasts. Right. Um, but uh, in, in music, I mean, it's it's just yeah. I mean, it's, the history is it's just littered with you know, good people dying like dogs at the hands of exploitative, you know, <laughs> um, people, you know. And you must have uh, seen from that, you know, economic side of, of releasing records and have you been playing live as as a, has that been kind of one of the biggest kind of profitable returns that you've done? Or is it, how does that split with records for the National? I, I don't have like the figures, but certainly like what you've read in the news about how bands survive yeah it's it's touring income and and merch are are, are very essential and i think that's why the, the the majors are now trying to get young bands to sign this the 360 deal where the label takes a piece of everything you know 
um, yeah, it, it's luckily we have have had good um, advice and like managers and tour managers along the way to like you know figure out profitability you know, profitability you know i get paid to hit things i i can't you know i don't have a good head for finances or anything at all and i i feel i feel awkward asking that question but i also just find it you know fascinating especially to the i mean the national is a, is a you know it must be amazing to be in a band where your demographic is basically anyone of any age right. <laughs> so i, I feel like humans could, yeah that's right that, and that's so awesome uh-huh. that's so cool going to going to a national gig and, and seeing you know families but also people uh-huh. wanting to have a, a party time as well and and it makes me think that i i've you know certainly an impetus of doing this podcast was thinking about that economical side of it think about the, the rea- reality side of it and and i think a lot of people maybe maybe think about that when they when they go see a band you know how does this how is this organize organization running like a business oh yeah oh, it, it, it completely like any business there's you know profit and loss statements and yeah. all that you know corporate structure and everything because you know we live in a society of laws still, I guess. <laughs> and of course, that's the antidote uh, to making a record. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, there's there's the there's an art and a science to it, I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> is that something that that you and the the rest of the members have talked about a lot? Is it something that you try and embrace, try and hit head on? Oh yeah, oh yeah, because from day one we were funding it, or really, Aaron and Matt were funding the whole operation. So the first order of business was to reimburse them. You know, <laughs> you know? it's very good to be have an open dialogue about you know financial things in any relationship you know totally so it doesn't fester or become an impasse or some blockade you know for real and that gets hard if you if you love the thing right i mean a lot of so many bands are going on tour and not making money from them but you kind of have to do it yeah i mean building the again it's stupid it's building the band the brand whatever you want to call it i mean Yeah, it's a struggle. I mean, there's just so much other, there's just so much stuff. Even now, there's more than ever material and releases and, you know, it's, it's amazing how much stuff, like content there is, you know. Right. And you've got Daniel Eck at Spotify saying, well, bands can't release one record every two years anymore, you know, which a lot of people were offended by. Right? Uh-huh. Um, well, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I wonder about their business model as well, you know. I don't know that they're necessarily profitable. I mean, there, there's some metric they they judge these companies by, like what it costs the company to to retain a subscriber. You know what I mean? Mm, mm. And and is that exceeding what the subscriptions are bringing in? And in Spotify's case, I think it's the ratio is astoundingly skewed towards it costs them a lot to keep. But they made a lot. I think the podcast thing is what they're doing. They're like signing all these big names and totally. Joe Rogan's just migrated, hasn't he? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that was their big you know Big thing. one of the latest things but i mean it's it's i mean as a it's it's i wish you know it's a it's an awesome interface in a way you know well that's the struggle isn't it because i use spotify <laughs> and i love it because i'm finding out about yeah. all these new records you know i might be on a train going somewhere or at the gym and i'm like oh there's that one um i yeah. don't know my bloody valentine record i've just never heard in my life that I, today i'm gonna listen yeah. to it you can't do that without you know with any with any other well you can't there's a few others but do you know what i mean spotify is the one yeah no it's it's really killer because i remember back in the day it was like you'd go to the record store and like i know this band like there's no listening station i'll just buy it on a whim and now you can just like listen to everything 
And the irony Ever. of buying a record back then is like, if you bought it, you can kind of listen to it until you like it because you spent the money on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you I suppose, time in. is it sort of an accident? Because, I mean, with, you know, looking at the Royal Green interviews that you've done, of course, people are going to ask about the National and right. and Matt's record. And that's actually, that kind of works in the Nationals' favour, doesn't it? And yeah, in terms of like, publicity reach like yeah they're still, still keep this mildly relevant i guess yeah i don't know i think, I think it just it's a symptom i mean i said it's just a result of just just the way things go with us totally. we, we all just decide to put out solar projects at the same time <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know does it does it feel like making well you know putting putting this record together has that been like a nice um you know something different for you oh completely so it's been so, it's so low-key because you know the audio you know it's a was done well not done done it's my work finished probably five years ago and then nate martinez he finished recently and then we got josh kaufman at the very end to play bass so just kind of this like everything kind of fell together then my brother did all the artwork and it was just kind of like you know no pressure whatsoever it's like it's like a vanity project in a way you know i'm just doing it myself because it's something i like yeah Um, i was gonna say if it's not too blunt of a question is it something that you know you guys enjoy and you can laugh about and fuck around with to an extent and be like, what about this? That oh, yeah. sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's serious. I mean, as we're trying to be just, but it's like I got to like, you know, create my own kind of like art for the for the sleeve or the inner sleeve. And then a, a friend of mine's a really good painter, and she did like a painting of a photograph of Nate and myself. Yeah, the cover. It's just it's just like kind of Great like cover. a cover. It's it's funny. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just sort of like a again like a vanity project. That, I want to be this like low key representation of a, you know, of a. Nowadays they would say mood, but I would say just of, of sort of like a, a time capsule of of that time. You know, that kind of summary time when you're in the twenties and just, you know, worried about things, but just like having fun with it. You know. Right. And and. <laughs> be, no, no, no. I'm with you. I I say I, 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 I I've got that bad habit of saying right, but. But no, I, I th- it must be a really nice way to to look back and look forward, if that's not too profound. And 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 you know the collaboration, you know, of of sending a a drum beat off for the folklore and not knowing exactly oh, right. what it was. That must have been quite yeah, fun. I, I, it was hilarious. I was my, my wife knew immediately, and I was like, nah, it's not Taylor Swift. <laughs> and then of course, once they came out, the NDAs, they could tell us like, oh, it's Taylor Swift. I'm like, duh. That's funny. <laughs> And so, and so that was great. Aaron's Aaron's role as, as a producer. There's this whole like, this wonderful idea of the national family. I mean, the fact that yeah. like Aaron's Aaron's producing these big records, you know, you're you're doing your solo project and and Matt's oh, doing yeah. his, and there's there's all these kind of wonderful spinning plates. Yeah, it's it's a good, very healthy thing not to have just one thing to focus on, you know, <laughs> which is how I tend to work. My mother warned me as a child, like don't focus on but don't have have more than one flower in your garden or something that's how she put it but but like yeah no definitely i mean obviously it, it boosts the public image of the band in a way um but aaron's been he's a prolific worker he just constantly works but he's he's produced a lot of records um over the years i mean he did frightened rabbit stuff oh, wow. um this american artist named audia victoria um he did some stuff with the uh, Mumford and Sons. Right, uh, right. And there's like lots of other stuff. He just yeah. has a real like interest and talent for that. So 
but he also likes to write his own stuff and work, you know, on that. But yeah, he just he just a lot he just he just works a lot more than me. I'm lazy, you know. <laughs> I'm sure not. But, I, was, I was looking at your well, dis- I was looking at your discogs. I mentioned it earlier. You're you're prolific. Well, I guess in that sense, I, I maybe just beat myself up, you know. Just kind of like like I haven't really properly played drums in a long time. Like I, I do really? the practice pad and I mess with drum machines and record little beats like this thing for folklore, but but I haven't properly sat down and like. But I think it's a good thing. Just physically, I'm pretty, pretty, pretty creaky. So, have you got have you got a setup at home? I, I mean, you just mentioned the pads, but do you, do you have a an acoustic drum room? I do, but the drums are stacked up. If yeah, if we were on video, I could show you. It's a nice. It's like a soundproofed basement box. Oh, cool. Um, but it's, it's quite nice. It gets really good. It, since it's small, it, the the low end is pretty satisfying. Um, but yeah, just record. I record like drum machines through amps, and I I have Pro Tools, and I'm I got to relearn it, you know. But anyway, <laughs> have you what have you found to keep you kind of keep you inspired and keep you you know getting a good feeling, keeping you stimulated over the years? Because you talk about your mum saying you know don't have just one flower in your garden. I mean that that's got to be very that's got to be really difficult when the when the national was touring so much, you know, and you're. You you have this great success that is a is a is a big job in itself, and I imagine it's hard to kind of get away from that just for a second. What what else can you find that that stimulates you? Oh yeah, well I mean, I'm blessed with a, with three children, so that's that's kind of hands full with that, you know. So that's nothing but stimulating, like twenty four seven. I mean, they've, they've you know the the younger years are the, are the really like intense ones. Now they're above. They're all in grade school or primary school, whatever. At this point, so it's it's a lot mellower in terms of like the, you know, don't want to don't want them to die on your watch kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because like even they're babies, like they got to put them on their back in the cribs. You you have a monitor, and it's 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 a it's a twenty four hour endeavor. You know, when, when um, the when the first one came, presumably the national were were quite busy. We, we, was was there a period of time back then that? You and you know cause the other members have kids as well. Some of them don't they? Yeah, everybody does. Yeah. Was it was it was that quite? Did did the first ones all come around the same time? Not in the same year, but in 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 succession. Our first kid was like middle of twenty eleven, and actually the due date was like the day after we were playing a festival in Spain. <laughs> wow! Um, did you make it back in? So time? luckily, I was. What? Was that- Made it back in time. Yeah, he he had he he, he was like eleven days late or seven. I can't remember. It wasn't eleven. I think wow. it was seven. I think they had a plan a plan in place because I think to, you know the baby doesn't just pop out like yeah. there's yeah. labor starts. It can be it can be three days. You know, it can be twenty four hours. It can be I seven see. hours. I think the thinking was we'd have enough time to get me to an airport and fly me back. We had like a, a plan. <laughs> it adds a very wholesome vibe. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, amazing. I mean, thank you so much, Brian. I mean, what? What? Oh, thank you. What's coming up? You know, over the next, you know, music-wise, writing-wise, for you. Oh gosh. Well, I should have mentioned uh, this band I'm in with my brother Ben Lands, who plays in the Nationals live. Who has been? He's been with us for like you know 13 years. So Ben Lands, my brother, and a guy named Aaron Arntz have a project called Lanzendorf. I've been trying um, to figure out how to say that. Yeah, we kind of, I don't know, we took the vowels out because that was the trend at the time. And 
just looked and there was a town there's a town called Lanzendorf in Austria so we, we wanted to like differentiate it yeah yeah um so we, we just put out an ep we have an lp coming out in january um nate martinez my collaborator on royal green and i have uh, this instrumental um sort of brainwave type of uh recording going on um cool uh, how do you mean brainwave gen- well i don't know if that's the right he he, he studies um things like binaural beats and these like certain frequencies played like two different frequencies played at the same time, create the illusion of a third or something. And then that in certain frequencies will influence brainwave patterns. Cool. I don't know. It sounds like Scientology, but it's not. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's actually based in science. Um, nice. Yeah. Anyway. So he, he, he and then I just got, I just got to provide like, he just chops up electric drum beats that I send him and uses these, synths and waveforms and i don't know <laughs> and and your, your your sort of newly acquired talent of of pro tools is that coming you know front and center for that oh yeah that's well that's it that's the, that's the project this winter is to learn pro tools expand my guitar knowledge <laughs> and get get a live set together to do some royal green shows here in cincinnati like in the spring cool cool like outdoor distanced things i guess to what extent is your guitar playing currently? Uh, it's it was it was decent twenty years ago. <laughs> it's nowhere near that. I just I just can play like the basic chords, you know. Do you feel like writing material, playing chords? Does that come naturally to you? Um, I I think little melodic fragments come naturally, but I I haven't really applied myself to write a complete song other than like the first song on the Royal Green record. That's the only song I wrote on that. Um, but just, it's like little, I like, I like hearing pitches and just sort of like kind of building like harmonies, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Oftentimes with the drum machines, you know, just getting a pitch on a Tom and, you know, right. Right. Doing that. But again, I don't know what I'm doing in terms of it. I couldn't tell you if it's an A or a B or anything. Like just, it's pure sound. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wonder if that works in the best ways it can do sometimes. You're not doing something because it's, you know, a written thing. Wrote. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think if I'm, if I'm able to actually, I think it's all about putting the time in, you know, really just like time. That's what yeah. it takes to actually play these instruments. You yeah, know? yeah. Just gotta put the time in. When you're playing the drums now, do you look back at the time when you started the national and you think, you know, how how much of your style has changed in that regard? Oh, a great deal. I mean, I've seen old videos; it's totally different, you know, from the beginning. So uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've probably played. I, mean, I didn't start playing drums until I was like, I think, fourteen, maybe. But you know, I've probably hit the drums literally billions of times, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that must be funny for your family as well yeah yeah my my dad's funny he's like people like kind of like ask him like oh, he must have like he must have been musical and he's like nah, nothing to do with it <laughs> <laughs> but of course he had everything to do with it because he was so supportive and like they yeah got me the drum set you know you know he's a totally different guy you know he's like an eagle scout you know went to the army to pay for college flew helicopters in vietnam you know <laughs> But super sweet. He's not. He's not like a militant person at all. He's just like a, you know, 
solid dude from the Midwest, you know. And and is that is that a common thing with your with your parents in, in the national? Was everyone quite supportive during those early years? Oh yeah, everyone. Yeah, well, the twins' mother uh, Sally, for our high school band, she would allow us to drive their car. We, the other guys were in New. So the band was based in New Orleans. So we'd we'd drive from Cincy to New Orleans in her car. She'd like pack a bunch of sandwiches and cokes and a cooler for us. You know, <laughs> amazing. It was really sweet. How far is that yeah, drive? Yeah. It's really long. I mean, I don't know the mileage, but it's probably like, it's probably like uh, 16, 18 hours. Wow. That's, that's some good uh, family support there. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a haul. <laughs> well, Brian, it's been so nice to hear about you and ask about, you know, some things that, you know, fascinate me about the national, you know, the inner workings of, of a band. So I hope I haven't asked too many kind of boring questions that, oh no i love this stuff thank you for thank you for the incisive questions no brilliant okay well have a have a lovely rest of your day you too man thank you jazz good talking to you man have a great have a great week you too brian cheers see you later bye-bye This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.